All right, so Christology week five. Uh, I've got a sick one at home, so I haven't had much sleep in the last four days. So if I misspeak, probably not a good week to misspeak. <laughs> talking about Christ, um, I apologize. Somebody correct me, throw something at me. Um, so we've been talking about the Christology or the doctrine of Christ. And um, we said that that is the kind of the center of the Christian faith. So Christ is the center of the Christian faith. And so studying Christ um, is an important aspect of it. And Christology is the doctrine of Christ. And so we all have a Christology, whether we articulate it well or not. And we've been going through this uh, statement from Ligonier, um, the word made flesh. We've got extra copies. Does anyone need a copy for today? Do you do? And we'll recite it in a second. That's been the, kind of the theme for the um, for the class. Um, so looking at this, I I kind of this this is week five of six. We've got one more week after this uh, in January, um, and I, I kind of noticed that, and, and probably a lot of smart people sitting around the room in Jeremy's living room talking about how we we're going to divide this up. Um, there's kind of a transition here. Um, from week four to week five and the way that the, the articles are broken down from a kind of focus on the nature and work and life of Christ to um, kind of this week and our final week, what does that mean for the Christian? Like, how does that impact us? Um, and so a brief history, uh, we've really talked about the nature of Christ, um, but also what Christ has accomplished. Uh, in church history, that has gotten messed up, and so a lot of these statements, these creeds and confessions and statements have come out of um, issues with uh, heresy or a, a false uh, understanding. And so when we think about the nature of Christ, we think about um, sort of the, the, the three kind of big uh, creeds and conf or, um, councils, Nicaea, Constantinople, Ephesus, and Chalcedon, that really helped us shape the idea of what is, who is Christ? It's, so the full deity of Christ in Nicaea, um, the full humanity of Christ uh, at Constantinople, and then what is this nature, what is, what is this nature, this, this divine and human nature, um, how are those um, kind of articulated? And so previous weeks we've talked more about that. Um, and so, the, so in church history, those were all kind of settled before 500, um, and really what we're going to be talking about, the four articles that we'll be talking about today are really focused more on a lot of the things that kind of were born out of the Reformation, so much later in the history of the church. So what is justification? What is sanctification? Um, what, did, what did Christ accomplish for us? And so the flow of the statement is kind of Christ's nature. What does the incarnation mean? What was his life and work? Uh, what does the resurrection mean? And then what is his return? We talked about last week some, with what does Christ's return look like? And so today uh, and next week, we're going to be talking about how does Christ Christology applied to the Christian life? And so we'll talk about salvation and the Christian life today, articles 18 through 21. Uh, and then we'll finish next week where we're really going to be focused on the Christ as our prophet, priest, and king. So a lot of Hebrews heavy text, um, but really... As we break that down, we'll be talking about those things. Um, so as we get into it, I thought it would be good to continue the trend of reciting together. Uh, I think that's a beautiful thing when Christians can verbalize together in unison 
truths uh, that are important to our faith. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and get, we'll, we'll just get started and we'll read it together. This is on page three of the, of the booklet. We confess the mystery and wonder of God in flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. With the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Son created all things, sustains all things, and makes all things new. Truly God became truly man, two natures in one person. He was born of the Virgin Mary and lived among us, crucified, died, and buried. He rose on the third day, ascended to heaven, and will come again in glory and judgment. For us, he kept the law, atoned for sin, satisfied God's wrath. He took our filthy rags and gave us his righteous robe. He is our prophet, priest, and king, building his church, interceding for us, and reigning over all things. Jesus Christ is Lord. We praise his holy name forever. Amen. And so really our focus today is going to be on that fourth, um, I guess, stanza. For us, he kept the law, atoned for our sins, satisfied God's wrath. He took our filthy rags and gave us his righteous robe. So we're going to be uh, starting today in Article 18, um, and I'm going to start with the affirmation. I anticipate, and this is both because of the topic of Article 18, but also um, based on the history of this class, we're going to spend most of our time on that, this first article of the, of the day. Um, some of that also has to do with one, some of the other articles we've covered in entire classes, like sanctification. <coughs> so I'm going to read Article 18. <coughs> And then we'll kind of kind of pair through the affirmation, and then walk through the, some denial with some <clears throat> clinical some some application. So affirmation: We affirm that those who believe in the name of Jesus of the Lord Jesus Christ will be welcomed into His eternal kingdom, but those who do not believe in Him will suffer eternal conscious punishment in hell. So there's a dichotomous statement here. There's no in between. There's no middle ground. We'll talk a little bit later, especially in the denial about trying to carve out a middle ground. But this is a very much, a, a, this is a yes or no. There's no in-between. There's no neutrality here. Either you, call, you believe in the name of Jesus or you don't. And the consequences are important. I also want, I think this affirmation is really um, helpful to think about the idea that a lot of times when we make this dichotomous statement, we think about heaven versus hell. But the statement actually says eternal kingdom versus hell. And I think that's a little bit more accurate for what it talks about in scripture in terms of this is Jesus is building his kingdom. And so we are either part of his kingdom or the consequences of not being part of his kingdom, not professing faith in Christ is hell. So it's not heaven versus hell. It's not escaping to heaven. Jesus helps us escape to heaven or we go to hell. It's Jesus help, Jesus welcomes us into his kingdom on one side. That's one side of the, this divide, or hell is on the other side. And so we'll dig into hell a little bit. I don't think I'm qualified to do that, but we'll see how we go. We'll see where we go. <laughs> well, let's first talk about the eternal kingdom. And I want to start thinking about um, what the promises of the kingdom looked like. So I want to go to Isaiah. Can someone pull up Isaiah 25? Uh, six through nine. Josh, I hope I did that right. 
It looked like it was counting. It's good. Good. All right. So the book of Isaiah has a lot in it, but one of the things, one of the themes throughout the book of Isaiah is talking about this future king and this future kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth. Um, so if anyone has Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. <clears throat> On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering on this mountain, the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Amen. Amen to that. Um, so that gives us this picture of this eternal kingdom, what it kind of, what it looks like, with the shadow of what it's going to look like. Obviously, we see that fulfilled in Christ, um, but Isaiah is is foreshadowing this new heavens and the new earth. At the very end of Isaiah, in Isaiah sixty six, uh, the very end, it talks again about this new heavens and new earth and brings into uh, focus not just the positive of this this affirmation of. Um, those who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be welcomed into this this eternal kingdom, this new heavens and new earth that that Isaiah is articulating here, but also brings in this idea of uh, eternal conscious punishment. So it says, for so this is Isaiah sixty six twenty two through twenty four. For as the heavens, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I sh- I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look for the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their, for their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. So I, that, that particular verse is actually quoted by Christ uh, in, uh, in Mark, so we'll talk through that. So we've got a good idea of this, I, this, this concept, very basic concept. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You'll be entered into his eternal kingdom. And we see this kingdom language kind of throughout all of scripture. Promised in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament, and promised further uh, in the Great Commission as we uh, make disciples of all nations. But Jesus teaches about hell as well. So he, he obviously... Um, he teaches about hell more than anyone else in the New Testament, actually. His, his references, especially in Matthew, it seems like he references hell over and over and over again um, in, in lots of different places. The one play, the, one of the chapters where he kind of repeat, repetitively goes through um, the concept of hell is in Matthew 13, um, where he, the parable of the sower and then the par- parable of the weeds, um, he goes into talking about... Um, hell and what that what the consequences of hell are so i'm going to read the parable of weeds and then later on in the chapter he explains it to his disciples he put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven this eternal kingdom that we're talking about may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field but while his men were sleeping his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away 
So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go out and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers. Gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat into my barn. And then, uh, so this was 13, 24 through 30, and then down into 36. Then he left the crowds and went to the house, and the disciples came to him saying, Explain us this parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the closing of the age. The reapers are angels. Just as the, as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be that the, at the close of the age, the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. There are other places uh, in Jesus' teaching where he talks about um, the idea of hell. He talks about it when he talks about lust in the um, Sermon on the Mount. He talks about you're better off cutting off your arm than to, for your whole body to go to hell um, and uh, in other places as well. Um, thoughts on hell, generally speaking, as we kind of dig into this a little bit more. I think it was R.C. Sproul I was listening to earlier this week who's saying he, he speculated that perhaps Christ is the one who talks most about hell because anyone else would probably dismiss it. <laughs> but we can't, we can't deny the fact that this is the Son of God telling us the truth of, right. of uh, eternal damnation. Yeah. Because it's such a, a hard thing for us to swallow. But. Sure. Lots of imagery and language about fire, fiery furnace, um, that seems to be the, the common theme kind of throughout this, the Old and New Testament when it's talking about this idea. What about the, the idea of this eternal conscious punishment, the eternal part? We're going to get into the denial where we talk a little bit more about some of the misconceptions or misunderstandings about hell. Is that new to anyone? Is that something y'all are comfortable with? as comfortable as you can be talking about hell. <laughs> I mean, Lazarus a, that went to hell and, and tried to tell, tell somebody is awful. Is that? It was, uh, wasn't it the, the, rich the ruler, man. the rich man the rich, was yes. yelling out to Lazarus. <clears throat> yeah, that's it. Kind of that imagery of, I just need a drop of water to, yeah. The last um, passage in, from Jesus' teachings is Matthew, or Mark 9, 42 through 48. If someone could pull that up, I think it would be good to connect that back to some of Isaiah's. And this is where Jesus actually quotes Isaiah. Um, We're starting at, sorry. Start 42 through 48, 9, 42 through 48. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me 
to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. <clears throat> it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. But the worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. So that last verse is a quotation from Isaiah, from Isaiah 66, to kind of tie this together. So this is Jesus connecting this dichotomy of the kingdom, the eternal kingdom, with this idea of hell and the unquenchable fire and so forth. The last verse on the, uh, the affirmation side that we'll talk through is 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 10. And I'll read this. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering since indeed God consider, considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, the imagery of fire again, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled among all who have believed, because their te our testimony to you was believed. Um, and then Revelation 20, 15 is another reference that just talks about uh, those who are not in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. Again, that, that um, imagery. But that Thessalonians talks about this idea of um, the kingdom of God and punishment and vengeance against those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel. <clears throat> As we get into the denial for Article 18, um, the, the denial says, we deny that every person will be saved. We also deny, or we deny that those who die without faith in Jesus Christ will be annihilated. So this kind of gets into really, so these denials are really focused more on the punishment aspect of this article. Pretty, pretty clear in Scripture, throughout Scripture, those who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be entered into his eternal kingdom. Those who do not will suffer this eternal conscious punishment. We get the eternal part from various places, but from 2 Thessalonians predominantly where it says, actually, it says eternal. But what are some alternative views of hell? What are some alternative views of what happens after death? They've chosen to target two. The first that they target is the idea that every person will be saved. This idea of universalism. Yeah. And it could be couched uh, either, it, it could be open. There's a universal <coughs> church, I think, on Franklin Road. Everybody's saved, you know, that kind of thing. There is no hell. There's just heaven for everybody. Just the eternal kingdom. Obviously, that doesn't make sense with what Scripture says. <clears throat> One of the places where I, I've seen it more recently um, a little bit more uh, vaguely described than actual overt universalism uh, was, a, was a guy named Rob Bell. Uh, he wrote a book called Love Wins. And I was kind of coming up 
in my 20s around that time were all those kind of polarizing figures, Rob Bell and uh, Mark Driscoll, Francis Chan, all those guys were coming up and he had written a book called Velvet Elvis that was kind of like this new way of thinking about Christ. But he wrote this book called Love Wins and in essence his argument, and I didn't read the whole book but parts of it, uh, his argument is that not, not overt universalism, like you should profess Christ in your life, but after you die, you'll have a chance to profess Christ after you die, and everyone's going to say yes at that point. So in that sense, it's kind of masked universalism, and we kind of see, we've seen how some of those polarizing figures in that period of time have uh, kind of led people astray, and I don't even think he professes faith anymore. Um, specifically yeah um, but anyway um, that is one of the the issue the areas where we see this another kind of in that time frame you know I think Keller probably has a, has a very weak view on hell in terms of maybe it kind of in, in the same line as CS Lewis of just this unpleasant place where there's the absence of God instead of really focusing in on the the actual torment the actual punishment that's happening in hell and that's common nowadays. You know, we want to soften uh, these doctrines because it makes us a little bit more comfortable in mm-hmm. general society. Um, there's other views. There's the idea that there's no hell and that, you know, you cease to exist. The other part, and I wasn't able to get into too much on this in the terms of the denial, is this idea of annihilation. And so what I gather is that there's a, a, a group of people, and I don't know that... Y'all correct me. I don't know that there's a specific denomination or, you know, air like group of people that believe this, but this idea of like a second death. So you die once and then you die again and you cease to exist at that point. So you don't cease to exist at death, but at some other point you, you kind of stop. Existing. <clears throat> and from what I read very briefly, there's, there's a little bit of this, um, or the, the idea is, you're taking these verses about the worm doesn't die. Well, the worm doesn't die, but do the people die? Or the fire's not quenched, but you know, what about the people? Are they are their lives quenched at some second? So kind of reading, like insinuating the idea that, that there's a second death into these passages by reading into the passages what's not there. Like I think in Revelation six or seven, there says something about the smoke from their ashes or their smoke from the fire mm-hmm. uh, will or from their burning will continue. The smoke will be eternal, but does the person continue to burn? I don't know. Um, but that's the idea of annihilation uh, ism, I guess, is the idea that at some point there's a second death, and so we would deny this. So we would affirm, obviously, belief in the Lord Jesus Christ is essential and it it ushers us into the kingdom heaven is a byproduct of that but that's not the point the point is this kingdom um and then if you don't there is eternal conscious punishment in hell do you know if they believe that like other people so they're in hell and then they die yeah in hell and are like eliminated there's not eternal it's like a conditional it's called like, there was like conditionalism and annihilationism. Okay. And it's different than you. There is no hell, and when you die, you die. That would be kind of an atheist belief, right? right. Like yeah, you die, you're dead. No or you know. There's also obviously like Eastern religions that believe in reincarnation and all that right. stuff, but they they would affirm no hell. Got it. 
this is like a secondary thing where there's like, there's hell. We can't get around this. The scripture talks about hell. Jesus teaches about it, but, but maybe it's not forever. It's this, this trend of like softening. That's, it still seems like a weird thing to care, like to, to split hairs about. Like, yeah. I mean, the crux of it is something happens eternally. What happens eternally? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Are you eternally consciously punished? Or do you become right. eternally destroyed? Right. That's kind of the crux of annihilation. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. is is are you punished forever, or do you just cease to exist yeah, forever? Exists. And it's, that's kind of where annihilation goes. Is you are wicked and you will be destroyed, but you're and you're destroyed by God, but it's not an eternal conscious mm-hmm. thing. It's like you're, right. just, you're punished yeah. and it's over, as opposed to this conscious eternal. Oh, so yeah, it's like execution. It's still yeah. a softening, I guess. Yeah. Or what you know, the Lewis Keller thing of like you're separated from God. But I'm not going to talk about the punishment part. I'm right. just going to talk about your punishment is just being separated from God. Yeah. And I think Scripture talks about more than there's more than that yeah, yeah, um, than yeah. what they would they would and, articulate. And maybe not from a scriptural standpoint, but I think the reason that they can claim this to some degree is they believe that sin is completely incompatible with God's righteousness, and so sure. at that point, then you should just be destroyed because it's completely incompatible with it. Yeah. And so they they kind of forego this. They, they view eternal punishment as pretty much like execution in a sense, like you cease to exist. Yeah, it's putting a human kind of <clears throat> yeah. spin on, mm-hmm. like a human judicial spin on what yeah. is kind yeah. of an eternal thing. And if and if if the kingdom is it lasts forever, right? Then the punishment has to last forever. Like that's the if this dichotomy is to follow suit. Mm-hmm. But it says eternal. Yeah, you know can't get around the word eternal or whatever the Greek version version of eternal is. Um, article 19. I was right. We got 20 minutes for three more articles. <laughs> but they're less controversial, hopefully, uh, than, than hell. Uh, and I don't think I said anything heretical either, so that's... I probably said something controversial um, that somebody would think was controversial about hell. Um, All right, Article 19, we affirm that all who have been chosen in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world and who are united to him through faith enjoy communion with him and with one another. I love that they added that. We affirm that in Jesus Christ, we enjoy every spiritual blessing, including justification, adoption, sanctification, and glorification. Not controversial. Positive, uplifting, great. We could put it on Christian radio. Um, so, but this is the idea of enjoying communion with, with God, with Christ, with God. Like our, our faith, our justification gives us this relationship, but it also unites us to each other. And I think that is, um, is really positive. And I think we'll talk about a, a little bit more of that in the denial part. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 and 2 Corinthians, a lot about the church, a lot about relationships to Christ and relationship to each other. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jew or Greek, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Mm-hmm. So this affirmation, this article, really brings me to think about communion, this sort of vertical communion with God, like the actual communion that we celebrate every week. 
this idea of communion with God through Christ, but also the communion that we get through each other in the church. Um, another passage, if someone wants to read this, uh, Romans 6, 1 through 11. And we also, as someone's pulling that up, obviously Romans 8 kind of goes through the golden chain and some of the blessings that we get, that last, that last affirmation of enjoying every spiritual blessing, justification, adoption, sanctification, and glorification. Do you want somebody to read it? Yeah, 6, 1 through 11. <clears throat> what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Uh, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Hearty amen to that one, right? right. Kind of ties this affirmation up really nicely, talking about the idea of our unification with Christ and really pulls this string from the previous <clears throat> articles and previous weeks that we've looked at. The nat God, Christ's nature, we, uh, we uh, identify and are unified with his nature, with his resurrection, with his... Um, with his second coming, um, that is all kind of tied into that um, affirmation. <clears throat> the denial. We deny that Jesus Christ and his saving work can be separated. This is pretty clear based on what we talked about. This is all unification language and this, this idea that his um, saving work and himself are separated. We deny that we are able to partake in the saving work of Jesus Christ apart from Jesus Christ himself. Mm -hmm. And we deny that we can be united to Jesus Christ and not be united to his body, the church. Again, so glad that they put that in there. I think that's really, really helpful, especially in our current cultural context mm -hmm. where we think we can divorce this idea of like Jesus is in my heart, but I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be with the messiness of church. Um, and that denial is, is, speaks volumes. So when we think about this denial, we, we, we think about this connection, we, we can go to John and, and Jesus' is teaching about the vine and the branches, this connectedness that occurs um, in our you know, baptism into, um, into his uh, body, into, into the church. Um, but I really want to focus a, a few minutes of our time on that last denial being, we can't be united to Jesus Christ and not be united to his body, the church. Um, there are lots of places we can go for this uh, in scripture. The one where I want to focus in on is uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 through 28. 
Uh, and we don't need to read the whole um, the whole passage, but this is the part of First Corinthians that's really talking about the church, the one body, many members, the idea of um, us all working together as part of one body in a, in a common direction. God, uh, Christ has given us this great commission, and he's given us uh, instructions for how we should relate to each other. First uh, Corinthians is a great place for this because it talks about the messiness of what that looks like when it goes wrong. Um, but I think that's one of the places that we can go to when we think about that. Is that a con? So I have personal, you know, friends and family that kind of believe this idea of you can you can just you know be in have Jesus in your heart and not have any connection to His people. Um, what are some thoughts on that? Uh, no accountability. Yeah, I, I mean, my, just in my experience, I have two I have two friends I can think of that sort of went down that rabbit hole, so to speak. Did they stay there? And uh, Well, one of them is, I don't even know what he professes now, as far as faith. Like yes. It's, uh, it's completely disconnected from it. Uh, the other one, it, it's more recent. that, And so he's still, I think he definitely still calls himself a Christian. The other one might too, but I would, you know, in both cases, it's, I think it had a really negative impact on their life and and their faith. You know, it's yes, just, it's you're not connected to a vine; you just wither and die. Basically, is what's happening. And um, well, this says we deny that we can be united to Jesus Christ and not be united to His body. So I would I would be hesitant to cast a judgment on a person on whether or not they're truly united yeah. to Christ, but. It does seem like this is saying if a person is not willing to be united to the body of Christ, we would deny that they're united to Christ. Yeah. So that is a judgment on a person's salvation, correct? Sure. I think, yeah, I think we can say that. Well, I'd like to approach it from this standpoint. I'm one of those deniers that got off vine, mm -hmm. and it's not a beautiful picture. Yeah. And I think we, we, should, be, we should parse out like a season of this versus mm -hmm. like I, yeah. you know you're totally. you, I think about um, I'm blanking on his name the person that went to Bon Air he probably went to Bon Air and started a church and probably had like not a ton of people maybe at first and so the body was probably he was connected to a body so I don't I don't mean to say you have to grace the threshold of a church building every week there's seasons where you might be connected to a body in a, in a more uh, not not normal way um, but I think your your word about desire like the lack of desire um, yeah. to be connected to the body it, it I think it helps us have guardrails so that that's why I asked about whether they stayed there or not because you you typically when it's just you your Bible and yourself and you, the Jesus in your heart that you perceive is the case you typically don't stay just kind of there you typically drift off into into um, either unbelief or or if the Jesus in your heart is the true Christ he would spur sure. you yeah. yeah I think just being careful too is that you gotta make sure before you cast a judgment such as that is that they've heard the truth they understand yeah. that mm -hmm. yeah because if you miss that if they're early or, or just have not had good Bible teaching, maybe they just don't understand. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. <clears throat> and I think we talk, we'll talk about this with Article 21 and sanctification, the idea that 
you know, that the fruit is there, but yeah, you're right, there needs to be guidance and hearing the true word, yeah. And it's also not the outward appearance, it's the heart that matters, right? So it's yeah. not just them being at church that matters, because in the word yeah. it talks about not forsaking assembly, but I know firsthand that you can do that being present mm-hmm. amongst the body, so. I agree, I think that's a, that's a really good point. There's this idea of cultural Christianity where I go to church every Sunday, but the truth is not in me. I'm not. I'm living this moral life, but I'm not living this Christian life. So there, there's two sides of that. There's, am I really connecting to the body, or am I just kind of checking a box on Sunday morning and then hitting brunch and getting, you know, through the rest of my week? Yeah. I, I had to look it up because I didn't want to misquote it. But you know, Bonhoeffer writes a lot about Christian community and the importance of Christian community. And he he said something that really struck me years ago when I read Life Together. He said, he needs his brother solely because of Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. And what he means by that really is, obviously not that you're a weaker Christian, but Mm -hmm. that you need the encouragement, the... um, accountability from other Christians um, and that that's a perpetual thing yeah it's funny hearing you say that Jeremy because it's like your, your mind went to Bonhoeffer and my mind went to you can cut the head off a chicken and the head will still blink for a couple seconds <laughs> <laughs> but at some point it, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah. especially with this, this analogy this picture in scripture of like literally members of the body being body sure. parts yeah, of course you can cut off a foot and a foot will survive for a little while by itself. But at the end of the day, like you cut off a member and the member dies. And so yeah. just that analogy of like there's a connectedness there to yeah. the body that's literally essential to to life and faith. Sure. And so um, it's yeah. a little rougher than Bonhoeffer, but that's kind of what we're <laughs> But there's this idea of guardrails. And like yeah, this whole, exactly. the purpose of this class is like we're connected to our body mm-hmm. having these discussions, but we're also connected to church history to the creeds and confessions, and even to the statement from Ligonier, don't go to Ligonier, whatever their church, but St. Andrews. Um, but we can be edified by yeah. the, by to, the visible church. Yeah, you have to, I feel church. like you have to have that tether. Yeah. Um, because if if you are, if you believe in Christ, but you're not united, united to Christ, or claiming to be united to Christ, but you're not united to the body, then you become the sole arbiter of like interpretation of scripture, what you believe about scripture, it, it literally all comes down to you and what you think about it. Mm-hmm. And you're not actually tethered to anything. You're not tethered to a body. You're not t- tethered to a confession. Um, or if you claim you are, then that, that is a very tenuous connection, if that makes sense. Yeah. You have to have that connection to the local body for accountability, for encouragement, for uh, just life in Christ. If, yeah. you, if you're kind of wandering out there on your own, it's a very <clears throat> unsafe place. Yeah. yeah. There's an identity... Uh, you know, imagery that that goes from Genesis to Revelation, and the idea that we are connected to our ch- to, to the church is the same kind of concept as the Israelites being connected to their nation. Mm-hmm. We're just this is just a continuation of the story of God's kingdom, um, and we have to be we have to, we have an identity, and that identity means something. And one of the things that it means is that we're connected to each other because of this common faith mm-hmm. that we have. Twenty and twenty-one are pretty straightforward. Uh, Twenty-one, we've done a whole session uh, or a whole uh, Sunday school uh, class on. Article twenty's affirmation is: We affirm the doctrine of justification by faith alone, that God declares us righteous by an act of His grace alone, through faith alone, in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. 
apart from our own personal merit or works. We affirm that to deny the doctrine of justification by faith alone is to deny the gospel. Amen. Mic drop. Um, Romans 5.1 kind of hits that. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The uh, London Baptist Confession, I'll just read chapter 1. That's another plug for the spring. I'm not teaching in that class, but plug for the spring. Uh, Sunday school, picking back up on London, London Baptist Confession. Chapter 11, paragraph 1. Those whom God effectually calls, he also freely justifies, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their person as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing Christ's active obedience, to tie back to a previous week, unto the whole law and the passive obedience into his death for their whole and sole righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, it is the gift of God. I think that is a pretty succinct um, statement there. Yep. The denial. We deny that we are justified on the basis of any infusion of grace into us. We deny that we are justified only once we have become inherently righteous, and we deny that this justification is now or ever will be based on our faithfulness. So kind of hitting a few uh, um, topics that have come up. Obviously, the first denial is um, separating us from Rome. So the Romanists would believe that there's an infusion of grace that occurs at the sacraments. So baptism and and all the sacraments, as you walk through the sacraments, you have an, an infusion of grace. So it's not a once and done kind of justification. It's a continuous working towards doing the sacraments. It's a participation, our, particip our participation mm -hmm. in our salvation. Um, and then the future, future justification, the idea that you're somewhat justified, but not fully justif justified. I want to say Piper might have mm -hmm. kind of hold to this yeah. vaguely. He's not really clear in a lot of the things I've read about that. And then obviously sinless perfectionism, the idea that we're eventually gonna get to the point where we don't um, sin anymore in this world. Any thoughts on that? I wanna try to keep us on time. Good luck. Good luck keeping on time. <laughs> oh, good luck with justification, trying to justify yourself. I think future justification has creeped its way into modern theology almost as a rebuttal to antinomianism. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons that it was expressed by some popular theologians of our time or maybe espoused because they're trying to combat the fact that they're you know, that there's some accountability in our human walk and our yeah. in, in our sanctification. And I think a lot of antinomianism was getting spread around and so infusing an element of future justification almost forces one to be kept accountable, so to speak, because you have to work for your salvation in a way. <clears throat> Mixing justification and sanctification. Yeah, blending yeah. it in, in, a, in an unhealthy way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't... A I have gospel-denying way. Yeah, in a, exactly, in a gospel-denying <laughs> way. More than that's unhealthy. Exactly, yeah. yeah, more yeah. than unhealthy, that's it. Yeah. 
yeah, when you mix sanctification and justification. And it, that's difficult. We spent a whole we did. class talking about that, and it is a mystery. There is a mystery involved with this. Mm-hmm. Does God give us faith that's not fruitful faith? Mm-hmm. No, he doesn't. Right. And that's Article 21 will kind of say this. God's the faith that God gives us at the point where the Holy Spirit indwells us is, uh, is a fruitful faith. It's not a dead faith. It's going back to James. There's not... If, if, if the Holy Spirit isn't truly indwelling you, then there's not going to be no fruit. Mm-hmm. It's is it impossible. Luther, is it Luther that says we're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone? Is that, yeah. yeah, I think you said that. Um, but muddying the lines between justification and sanctification is, is easy. We like to check our boxes. We like to try to justify ourselves, even just in our world, talking to other people, working at work, right? I have to justify, go up for you know promotion. I have to justify that what I'm doing is worthy of this promotion. So we, we have, our whole world is centered around this idea of justifying ourselves. So we need a constant reminder that that's not actually, um, our standing with God is not related to that. And the flip, the flip side of that is, the I think going back to you know, basically denying the um, having all the blessings of Christ is you could say oh justification we don't need to worry about the rest mm-hmm. right and like no that's not what it is either mm-hmm. like you you leave you're no longer obeying out of a slavish fear but out of childlike love and obedience it's the whole order of guilt grace and gratitude yeah we we obey not because we're earning anything. Not because we have to earn some future justification or or be able to prove that we have been justified, but out of just out of gratitude, out of a childlike obedience. It's mm-hmm. that fruit of Christ in us. It's one of the blessings that are ours mm-hmm. in our union with Christ. Yeah, it's He doesn't save us, spin, get our wheels spinning and say, "Okay, hopefully you can do good, great from here." It's like no, He's we're united to Him through the, the, our entire life and into eternity. Yeah. And then as we transition to 21, and I, I was listening to a sermon a few weeks ago talking about the idea of the Sabbath going from Saturday at the end of the week to Sunday at the beginning of the week and that idea of rest and that the Jewish model was work, 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 and then rest. And our model now is rest and then get to work. And this, this idea of this, like we start with our justification, this rest that we have in our justification, and then let's get to work. Let's do some, some kingdom building activities. And that gets us into Article 21. So this is a longer one. We affirm the doctrine of sanctification. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, based on the work of Jesus Christ, delivers us from the reigning power of sin, sets us apart, and makes us holy by conforming us more and more to the image of his Son. We affirm that sanctification is a work of God's grace and is inseparably joined with justification although it is different from justification. We affirm that in this divine work of sanctification, we are not merely passive, but we are responsible to apply ourselves to the appointed means of grace in our ongoing endeavor to die to sin and live in obedience to the Lord. Refer you back to the class. We probably could have said, read this and and that would have, that would have shortened it. Safe for 13 weeks. London Baptist, <laughs> London Baptist has chapter 13. I'm not going to read it, but that's kind of it. I'll read the denial and then we can... Um, Real quick, I just want to make a point there. Something that I was thinking through when I read that was this uh, 
discussion that's happened, I feel like somewhat recently, but it's probably happened over the years. There's nothing new under the sun, but yeah. the idea of like, is, is sanctification a, a modernistic or synergistic thing? Yeah. And in reality, it's like, that's, that's, that's a more, uh, that's a more relevant conversation to justification, but it's like, it feels like it's sort of started to be applied to sanctification mm-hmm. as well. And it's one of those things where like, it is, it is modernistic in that it is a work of the Holy Spirit. Something we can actually do to please or obey God in and of ourselves. Like that is a work of the Holy Spirit. But as this statement says, we are not merely passive, but responsible to apply ourselves to the pointed means of grace right. in our ongoing endeavor to die to sin and live obedience. It's like, so in that way, it, so it just, it's one of those things where it's like helpful to clarify that. It's like, yeah. it is, if you want to use those terms or use that language, you know, it is monergistic in that it's not in and of ourselves that we can actually, you know, sort of generate the willingness to obey. Um, it actually comes from the Holy Spirit, right. but we are not passive in that. Yeah, there's an active part, responsibility on our part as well. Um, to actually play a role. In you, you have to, you have to really take a, a sharpie to a lot of scripture. Yeah, that talks about obedience, the obedience of the people of, of God's people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you, when you, if you want to say that this is a passive thing. Yeah, it goes so, back to the discussion we we're having about being united to the church as well. Yes. Yeah. Well, if, if you pull yourself out of the body, you are denying the ordinary means of grace that yeah. God has given to do, accomplish his work. Yep. And we are, we're, we're hurting ourselves. We're hurting the body of Christ. Assuming yeah. you're a true believer, mm-hmm. like the, the ordinary means are given to us to, to come under, to, to have the communion of the saints, to hear the preaching of the word, to mm-hmm. enjoy the sacraments together. Those are the, those are the ordinary ways God has given us to be more and more conform to the image of Christ and to die to sin. And yeah. if, if we pull out from that where it's like not, uh, well, I'm just not going to eat my food. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. Ultimately, mm-hmm. Christians have to hold this intention. Yeah. We can't take one over the other. We have to hold intention, the surety of our justification and the idea that God has called us to be obedient. Not because our, ju- like this separation, not because he wants us to justify ourselves, but because he has justified us and he has loved us and he has given us all the things that we need to actually accomplish sanctification mm-hmm. imperfectly in this world, we have to hold that intention. We have to walk and chew gum at the same time, as difficult as it is at times, because our ditch is, I have to be obedient because God tells me I have to be obedient and I'm gonna check this, these boxes off and no, no. I'm motivated to be obedient because God has justified me. Right. And he's get, not only did he just justify me, there's not just this one-time thing, but he's actually given us all the things that we need, including the Spirit, to actually kill sin in this life. Mm-hmm. Imperfectly, we won't get there. The denial kind of talks about this, but there's an imperfect process of sanctification that is ongoing in every true Christian's life. The denial uh, is... We deny that a person is justified without immediate. Well, we deny that a person is justified without immediately bearing the fruit of union with Jesus Christ in sanctification. We deny that our good works, while acceptable to God in Christ Jesus, merit justification. We deny that in this life, our struggle with indwelling sin will cease, even though sin has no dominion over us. So three statements that really clarify that conversation. The first, if you are truly indwelt with the Holy Spirit, then fruit will come. 
and it's gonna be slower or faster, depending on who you are and your context, whether you're in a church body, whether you're participating in the means of grace to a greater or lesser extent, whether you have a full understanding, but the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it's impossible for that not to bear fruit, true fruit. Um, but then those good works are acceptable to God. He asks us to be obedient, and when we are obedient, it is acceptable to him, but not for our justification. And then the idea that we're going to struggle with sin till the day we die. Any closing thoughts? A couple minutes over, but we're good. Uh, just, uh, I'm actually going through this right now. My own <clears throat> life, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm having some problems with some things. And um, just thinking, you know, well, I give up on the church and just go back to doing things my own way. And actually, the Holy Spirit's going, no. You're not going to do that again. <laughs> you're going to be here, and you're going to hear the Word of God being preached to you, and you're going to get better. And I thought, you know, um, he's, he's not letting me get away with having bad attitudes or... Mm -hmm. I think about it, I'm like, this is really uh, an interesting thing, because I've had brothers here in the church come and talk to me and explain to me, you know, my need for the church and for having communion with people. And it's been very helpful. Um, I just thank God for that. Good. Awesome. Well, I'll pray for us and we'll uh, head down to worship. Father, thank you for these truths. Thank you for this church community where we can discuss these truths. Um, help us to understand them more and more every day. Thank you for our justification. Um, continue to give us the means we need for our sanctification. Thank you for um, Christ and what he has done and the kingdom that he is building. And we, um, we pray that you'd be with us as we go to service, uh, that you'd help us that our, to have our hearts opened to what you have for us today. Uh, and as we look towards um, Christmas next week, that we would be even more... Um, impacted by the truth that Christ has come to this world and has saved us from our sins and rules and reigns now. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.